0: Hi, everybody. This is Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome to Prophecy Today. Great to have you along. We need 90 minutes of your time. We're going to go around the world. We're going to talk with our broadcast partners who have additional information that you've been able to hear or read about in the current events reports that are happening so that we can better understand the end-time scenario as Bible prophecy, and these current events fit together to show us where we are in God's time. We're here in Temporary Studios, Chillicothe, Illinois. We're going to be at the Calvary Baptist Church Sunday through Wednesday, all day Sunday, 9 45 and 11 in the morning, 5 and 6 in the evening. Prophecy QA at 5, 6 o'clock, our teaching service. Love to have you come and join us as we study Bible prophecy. And then Monday through Wednesday, we'll start the prophecy QA at 6 o'clock with the teaching of God's prophetic word at the 7 o'clock hour. Come join us, the Calvary Baptist Church, Chillicothe, Illinois. I sure do love that name. I'm so glad you could join us today. Winky Madad is standing by in our second half hour. He's going to give us a preview of the upcoming elections in Israel this next Tuesday, And then we have Dr. Don DeYoung. He's a scientist, you know, loves Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior as well. And we're going to be discussing the dinosaur-killing asteroid that supposedly hit this Earth 66 million years ago. I say that, of course, tongue-in-cheek. Stay around for that special conversation with Don DeYoung. Now we look at geopolitical activities happening around the world. The man we do that with is a world traveler, a journalist, an author, and he's in fact writing a book right now. We're talking about Ken Timmerman. And Ken, how's the book coming? I just want to keep checking, make sure you're on track.
1: Uh, well, the book's coming very well. Thanks for asking, Jim. And I understand that uh, you had a landmark 60th wedding anniversary this week with your beloved wife. I, I just want to take this opportunity to give you my heartfelt congratulations. And I won't say 60 more, but uh, that's great. What, what a wonderful thing to celebrate.
0: Well, thank you so very much. And we had a wonderful day traveling out here to Illinois. And I say that tongue-in-cheek as well. We're going to celebrate with the whole family. They're coming out at Christmas time to Chattanooga. So we'll celebrate the 60th anniversary of one day Christmas the next day. But thank you so much, Ken, for remembering yourself and telling me congratulations. That should have been directed, of course, towards my precious wife, Judy. She's the one that's kept the thing together, living with this crusty old man that she's had to live to these many years. Well, now let's get down to the task at hand. Prime Minister Netanyahu is warning Iran He said, hey, Iran, we know what you're doing. You better stop it. Boy, he's not afraid of Iran. He's telling them right now that they better be prepared if they're going to continue this way.
2: Well, a
1: lot of developments this past week between Israel and Iran, and this particular warning from the prime minister in election season is quite extraordinary because he revealed in a press conference earlier in the week photographs, apparently satellite photographs of yet another Previously secret Iranian nuclear weapons site. This one was located not too far from Natanz near Isfahan, where Iran uh, enriches uranium in a site that was uh, previously secret, discovered in 2002. But this site has been secret forever, and it was only because the Israeli intelligence service managed to get these documents out of a secret warehouse in Tehran last year that they discovered the existence of this site. So Netanyahu showed pictures of the site taken from the air in June of 2019, this year, up and running. Just outside of Isfahan. And then he showed a couple of weeks ago how the Iranians are now destroying the site, trying to cover it up because they realize that Israel is on to them. And Israel has reported the site to the IAEA, the International Atomic Energy Agency. Another site that Israel reported to the IAEA, that warehouse in Tehran, where they've been stockpiling nuclear material as well as documents. That one has been visited now by the IAEA, and despite efforts by the Iranians to cover it up, quite literally bulldozing that warehouse and covering it with gravel, the international inspectors have found traces of enriched uranium, and they're asking the Iranians, what in the world were you doing? Gee, were you breaking the Iran nuclear deal?
0: (laughs) I love the way you asked that question, Ken. (laughs) Well, of course they were. That would have to be the answer. Well, uh, it looks like Iran and their surrogate terrorist organization, Hezbollah, located in southern Lebanon, have new rules in the game. They're going to have an instant reprisal for any Israeli strikes. seems like they've been doing that pretty much along the way. I guess they're making it official now.
1: Well, this is another big development this past week, and uh, again, it seems to have been related to that meeting we talked about last week in Lebanon between Qasem Suleimani, the heads of, head of the Quds Force, and the head of Hezbollah. That took place on the 23rd of August, and and no one really knew at the time what they had decided. But it was very unusual for Soleimani to travel to Beirut because he's a target. <laughs> he is definitely a target. Now it would appear that at that meeting, the Iranians said, "Okay, the next time Israel, the Israeli Air Force in particular, launches an attack against us or against your forces." hezbollah's forces in syria we will immediately respond with missile attacks on israel and so earlier this week following an israeli airstrike inside syria against uh, an iranian uh, base in abu kamal uh, along the border with iraq the Iranians launched two large Zelzal-2 to surface, to surface missiles at the launch point on Mount Hermon. These are big missiles. These are, these are probably, I would say that they're, if my memory is correct, they're about the size of Scuds. They have large warheads, can do an awful lot of damage. Uh, they have a range of roughly about 100 miles, so that allows them to easily get into Israeli airspace. In this particular case, they missed their target, crashed in Syria... Mount Hermon, remember, is right along the border with Syria. And so the Israelis did nothing in reprisal. What all this means, Jimmy, is that we are getting closer every day to that hot, hot war between Iran and Israel. It will take place here. Ground zero is going to be southern Lebanon and Syria.
0: Very interesting developments. And by the way, it goes along with the statement made this week. Iran says they're ready to wipe Israel off the map. That was a statement made almost every day for eight years when Hamadanijad was in power as the prime minister. It's resurfaced once again. It's from Psalm 83, verse 4, where it says, they'll come out of a council meeting, they'll make a decision, and they will say, let's wipe Israel off the face of the earth, that her name be forgotten forever. That prophecy seems to be coming much better into focus. But all this talk about Iran brings up a subject that, uh, I'm sure that you're ready to talk about, everybody's talking about it, uh, the firing of the National Security Advisor, John Bolton, there at the White House. And this has really been concerning uh, to Prime Minister Netanyahu and Israel, because basically John Bolton was in lockstep with what Israel and their leaders are talking about.
1: Well, that's true, but let's not forget that uh, President Trump is in lockstep with Israel's leaders as well. And I think one of the reasons that so many evangelicals turned to President Trump in 2016 and voted for him, because they understand he has a heart for Israel, and he has understood the importance of America's, not just friendship, but our alliance with Israel this is part of our national destiny, uh, and certainly a, his attitude towards Israel is a big change from what we saw under President Obama. I agree that the firing of John Bolton is uh, of concern. I'm a good friend of John, and I'm, I'm very sad to see him go. I'm not entirely sure what the friction was between the two of them. I've seen the reports that Bolton was suggesting that the president take a tougher line towards Iran. I think the president is already taking a pretty tough line towards Iran, and I think When you hear the Iranians gloating over John Bolton's removal from the White House, I think I know who's going to get the last last laugh in this one, and it's not going to be the Iranians.
0: Yes, absolutely. Well, I sent you an article, Ken. I want to see what your thoughts are. U.S. Congressional Representative Omar is now Erdogan, Turkey's president, up Erdogan's agent in Washington. What are your thoughts about this article?
1: Well, I've I've got to tell you, that certainly got my attention, and it's something that I was not aware of, and I appreciate you sending it to me, but it's pretty extraordinary the close relations that Representative Omar has forged with the Turkish government. She's traveled to Turkey to meet with President Erdogan. She apparently has gone several times to meet uh, a talk top Turkish diplomat in Chicago, their consul general there, who's posted photographs of her visiting him. A major Turkish newspaper just this past week called on Turks to donate money to her campaign, something Mm. obviously illegal to people who are not citizens or permanent residents of the United States. By the way, you know there are ways of tracking that. We won't have her campaign finance reports for a couple of weeks, but we'll be able to find out if she had people from Turkey donating to her campaign and if she indeed declared it. But this is a big deal. It's a big deal to have a member of Congress in the pocket of a foreign state, in this case Turkey, where Erdogan wants to create the caliphate, He's spending billions of dollars in the United States to recruit members of Congress. This is something that's been going on for quite some time. He brings their top staff members on uh, all expenses paid trips to Turkey, first-class trips to Turkey. They get indoctrinated by uh, members of his political party. And then uh, in the United States, uh, Turkey is building the largest mosque in, uh, you know, uh, certainly in North America, uh, right in suburban Maryland, uh, to be able to, again, reach out to that local Muslim community community. I think this is disturbing to see a member of Congress with that kind of relationship with Turkey's Erdogan.
0: Absolutely. Turkey's Erdogan is a dangerous man with his desires to be the pan-Islamic leader and, of course, revive the old Ottoman Empire. Ken Timmerman, the man who covers geopolitical activities for us at this broadcast table. We have to have him every week because his insight is excellent as we look at all these issues. Ken, thank you for remembering my 60th wedding anniversary, and thank you for being on the broadcast today. We'll talk again next week.
1: My great pleasure and honor to be with you, Jimmy. Thank you so much. God bless.
0: Thank you, sir. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, David Dolan has a Middle East news update. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today.
3: Christians in the Last Days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com.
0: Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm here in Temporary Studios, as I said, in Chillicothe, Illinois. Boy, I love that name. I don't know where they—it must be an Indian name, I would imagine. I'll have to ask the pastor, Pastor Cochran. He's the pastor of the Calvary Baptist Church. We're going to be there for a four-day meeting We start on Sunday morning with Sunday school at 945, then at 11 o'clock the morning service, 5 o'clock prophecy Q&A on Sunday, and 6 p.m. for the service. On Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, the service will start at 7 p.m., letting everybody get out of work and then over to the church. Love to have you come and spend some time studying the prophetic Word of God. It's the Calvary Baptist Church Chillicothe, Illinois. Well, let's go as promised to David Dolan, the man who covers the Middle East. He gives us a Middle East news update each and every week. This is going to be no exception. David, what about the prime minister making a visit to Vladimir Putin there in Russia and just a couple of days before the upcoming Israeli elections? Sounds like a very smart political move.
4: Well, it definitely was, Jimmy, as I mentioned last week. Uh He's trying to woo some of the Russian-speaking voters in Israel away from Avigdor Lieberman's Israel-Beitenu party. Israel is our homeland party. The polls show that uh, Lieberman will pick up maybe eight seats and will be the deal maker in the next coalition, uh, Lieberman calling for a national unity government for the two big pi- parties, Blue and White and the Likud, to join together, especially with conflict seemingly imminent in the Gaza Strip and also in the north. But of course, the main topic that Putin and uh, Netanyahu discussed, and previous to that, the prime minister met with the Russian foreign minister and defense minister, and that was Syria. And uh, the, the Iranian forces in Syria reports say that finally Putin pledged, and is in fact doing it now, to remove all Iranian forces from within about 55 miles uh, of the Israeli border. As we've discussed many times, they've set up bases right along the Golan border, uh, not very far away to the west and to the north as well. And the Israelis have been, of course, attacking some of those positions. Uh, the report was that Putin has agreed that he will keep that commitment made 14 months ago in July of 2018 to President Trump in Helsinki, where he said that would occur, and it didn't occur. Now, apparently, it is, but Yes, indeed, Netanyahu has real issues to discuss with Russia, and uh, Syria was the focus, but it doesn't hurt him electorally to be seen cozy with uh, Putin, who is a rather popular figure among most of Israel's Russian-speaking Jews.
0: David, talk to me about the firing of John Bolton, the National Security Advisor to the President, there seems to be a relationship that has developed over the years between Israel and uh, John Bolton, and in particular, we're talking about the Prime Minister Netanyahu because they're basically on the same page as it relates to Iran, are they not?
4: Very, very similar views, Jimmy. Bolton has uh, made clear that he sees military action against Iran as the only thing that's going to really change the game in the region, the only thing that's going to restrain Iran from arming all of these proxy forces, Islamic Jihad in Gaza, which set off more rockets aimed at Israel this week, and the forces in Lebanon, of course, Hezbollah, and the pro Iranian Iraqi forces all getting money and arms and aid from Iran. And he said that the regime changes, he said this out loud several times, is the only way to go. Netanyahu hasn't said that exactly, but he's made clear that Israel will not, militarily, will not allow Iran to ever possess nuclear weapons, and that Israel will continue to strike at these Iranian bases in Syria, in Lebanon, and other areas. So they share very, very similar views. And while, of course, the prime minister didn't want to insult President Trump or his administration, they definitely were very sad to see Bolton go, and they feel like they've lost a close ally there.
0: And I'm certain that is true, especially from the Israeli point of view. I want to get back to Iran, but let me slip this in real quick. I want to make sure we get it in the report. Prime Minister Netanyahu is denying reports that Israel is spying on the White House. They found some devices in very interesting locations near, and I do believe, inside the White House. Uh, but he said Israel would not do that such a thing. What are your thoughts?
4: Well, after the uh, Israeli Jonathan Pollard was arrested and jailed in the United States for spying on Israel, and basically that was to do with the uh, war against Saddam, he was able to share with Israel some documents. Of course, he's an American-Israeli, and that was publicly admitted and all of that. At that time, the Israeli leadership promised that no longer would there be any such action against the United States, and Netanyahu reiterated this week that they have kept that promise. He said, America is our closest, most important ally. We promised them that we would not do any spying activity in the country, and we're keeping that promise. Now, Jimmy, the reality is the Americans keep their eyes open when they're in Israel on what Israel's doing, and the Israelis certainly do the same in Washington. But to put bugging devices to be listening to phone conversations and that is pretty audacious, and I really doubt that Israel would do that because whatever information they would learn would not be worth the cost of this being exposed. So I don't think it was Israel. I think Netanyahu's denials are probably uh, accurate and truthful.
0: Yeah, I hope so. I don't want that relationship to break down between President Trump and Prime Minister Netanyahu, and especially if he is reelected. Well, there's a passage over in the book of Psalms, chapter 83 and verse 4, where it says they'll go into a council meeting. It's talking about an alignment of Islamic nations, which are mentioned. They'll make a decision, come out, and say they're going to wipe Israel off the face of the earth, uh, that her name be forgotten forever. Now Iran is bringing that statement back into existence. During the eight years of Ahmadinejad, as president, he would say it almost every day. But Iran is now saying, we're ready to wipe Israel off the face of the map. What are your thoughts?
4: Well, Prime Minister Netanyahu said while in Moscow that action against Hamas in the Gaza Strip was now inevitable. There had to be a military campaign at some point because it isn't controlling Islamic jihad. It's sub-group uh, that that is totally backed by Iran and they are firing rockets audaciously. As we know, on Tuesday they fired a rocket at Ashkelon and Ashdod. Uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu was at one rally in uh, one of those cities, and Benny Gantz was in the other city that was hit, the opposition leader, and they were both escorted to shelters real quickly. So the, the evidence that Iran is indeed ready to take action is growing all the time, Jimmy, it just seems like it's uh, going to happen. Anything could trigger it. They are still trying to hit targets inside of Israel. A couple more rockets from the north this week aimed at Israel. And Israel has said, we can't just sit back, as we discussed last week, and let of uh, them upgrade missiles and do all the things they're doing. So Putin is trying to intervene, apparently, trying to keep them back from the border. But in reality, Israel doesn't see any need for iran to be in syria at all certainly now that the war's basically been won by the assad regime why are they still there he's saying so clearly they have war aims against israel clearly they feel like they're ready or at least their statements seem to indicate that and of course the idf is on full alert there's 24 7 air flights going on now all the time jimmy the navy is on full alert and uh, it's just a question in my mind, and I think many analysts following it closely of when this is going to take place.
0: Yeah, it's along the campaign trail. The prime minister making a statement this week to Iran. We know exactly what you're doing, and your conversation with me today seems to indicate that. One more thought Hamas is making the statement. They heard during the campaigning of Prime Minister Netanyahu to be reelected. Uh, that he was going to annex the Jordan Valley, put uh, the sovereignty of the Israeli government over the Jordan Valley, and also with Judea and Samaria as well, which we've already talked about. Hamas making the statement, we will not permit that to happen, especially in the Jordan Valley. Those words sound like fighting words, and we've only got about 40 seconds, David.
4: Yes, Jimmy, the Palestinians as a whole are extremely upset over that declaration that around 30 Jewish communities in the Jordan Valley and near it would be annexed to Israel, and as you said, others in Judea and Samaria as well. Jordan, the country of Jordan, condemned it and said this may threaten the peace treaty. So obviously Hamas, that's the most radical of the groups, the most anti-Israel anyway, always agreeing with Iran that Israel must be destroyed, they're going to strongly oppose this, and it gives them another excuse to step up their warring against Israel. And as Netanyahu said this week, we feel a campaign against them is now inevitable.
0: I have a DVD documentary entitled Israel, the Land of Conflict. How true that is. And that's the reason we go back each and every week to David Dolan, to find out what real information he can give us about the current events that seemingly are unfolding, setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. David, thank you so very much, my good friend. We'll talk again to you next week.
4: Thank you, Jimmy, and God bless.
0: We're going to take a break. When we come back, Winky Madad standing by. He's very knowledgeable of the political arena. We're going to talk about a preview of the elections upcoming on Tuesday. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today.
3: How do you like your news? Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Prophecy Today.
0: I'm here in Chillicothe, Illinois. What a great name. I love the name of that location. We're doing the broadcast from here because we're going to have a three-day meeting. Well, actually, I guess it's uh, four days, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Love to have you come study the prophetic word of God with us. Today, we're bringing to the microphones here at the broadcast table Winky Madad. Winky's a longtime friend, a great broadcast partner, very knowledgeable of what's going on in Israel, and in particular, from a political perspective. Now, the upcoming elections taking place on next Tuesday, September the 17th, are going to be key for the future of the Jewish state of Israel. So I thought I would bring Winky to analyze where it is right now before the elections and how that all comes together, reminding us of what the procedure is in electing a prime minister. That election's next Tuesday. What's the lay of the land right now? How does it look for uh, both the Liberal Party and the right-wing party and how the elections will come out on next Tuesday?
5: Well, Jimmy, first of all, let's remind our listeners that Israel has a parliamentary proportional representation system in which the entire country is one voting district, which is quite different from the United States, of course. Uh, That being the case... No one party is ever and is never expected, actually, to gain the 61 votes majority out of the 120-seat Knesset. Therefore, we always have coalition politics from two to seven parties sometimes joining up together to form a majority. The majority could reach into the 80s sometimes. I think it happened once with Menachem Begin, in which then the prime minister can present two the president saying, I have a majority and he gets to set up the government, which is then voted in and the first Knesset session available. We had elections a couple of months ago, Jimmy. We're doing it again. And my first comment is there isn't a major difference between the voting blocks from the last elections, which means it's a strong possibility that Mr. Netanyahu will find it difficult, even though he has a plurality with all his votes for a specific party called the Likud and his potential coalition partners, but he will not be able to translate that plurality into a government without something happening very strange. And that's the first hurdle he must go over, because... The key is a Viktor Lieberman, who's the head of a Russian party, well a Russian representative party, shall I say more accurately. And he is the key to jumping the hurdle of sixty one. And my final sentence on this part of the answer, he might force Netanyahu to go to a national coalition government which would take in the largest party in addition to him, from the other side, which is left of center.
0: Well, Avigdor Lieberman was the stick in the spokes of the bicycle last time, which really stopped Netanyahu from being able to form that coalition government, was he not?
5: Jimmy, you're absolutely correct. And he's still polling anywhere between 8 to 10 seats, on the average 9, which uh, detracts from Netanyahu having the 61, because Lieberman ha- broke away from Netanyahu. That's what caused the elections the last time, because they were early. Uh, Lieberman has developed over the past few years an antagonistic attitude to Mr. Uh, Netanyahu. It's strange because uh, Lieberman, who has always portrayed himself as a strong on security, shooting Arabs uh, or the leaders of the Hamas, to be more specific, and really hasn't done much, he might be, as you said, uh, not only the spoke the wheel, he could be the linchpin enforcing what Ms. Netanyahu does not want. He does not want an across-the-board national coalition. He wants to keep it in the right wing with the religious parties. Uh, he's more comfortable with that. Uh, the, and uh, so anything is open, including Jimmy, mark my words, a strong attempt by Mr. Netanyahu to pull some people out of the Blue and White Party who were previously in the Likud. I know this is getting very complicated for our listeners, and try to break up Blue and White and bring uh, four or five people over to the Likud and then be able to reach the 61 magic number.
0: You let me restate your first answer, so we make sure everybody's on the same page with us. This is not a direct election of a prime minister, but it's basically a vote for the members of the Knesset, who then, whatever party they may represent, has to be formed into a coalition government. That's that's correct, isn't it?
5: That's correct. We vote for what we call in Hebrew lists, which basically are parties, And if I can take your question one step further, it also means that potentially the parties will agree to put the Likud on top if another candidate other than Mr. Netanyahu assumes the position of prime minister. In other words, Jimmy, since Netanyahu has made himself a reputation among too many people in the political sphere, of course, not among the population, I will want to point out. In the political sphere, they'll say, listen, if Netanyahu wants to head the government, we're not joining. If Mr. Sa'ar or Mr. Ardan or Mr. Katz would assume the prime minister's office and Mr. Netanyahu will step aside, Lieberman and maybe a few other people will say, we will support you.
0: Is there any chance that... uh... Netanyahu would step aside like
5: that? Um, I don't think so, but he might be forced to.
0: And if indeed he is uh, not going to follow through and step aside, allow somebody else to run as the slot for prime minister, could he, if he got the nod from President Rivlin, who determines who's going to have the first opportunity to try to form that coalition government. Could Netanyahu put that coalition government together? And we've just talked about Vigdor Lieberman. Could he do it without Lieberman?
5: Jimmy, I'm reading the polls. and I'm no wiser than anybody else on this earth at this present moment, at least that I know of. If the polls hold as they are today, which is an if, Jimmy, it could be that... I'll give you. I'll throw you a curveball, and our listeners too. It could be that Mr. Lieberman's poll rating of nine is high because Likud people are saying we'll vote for Lieberman, and on the day of elections, they're going to vote for Likud, and he'll drop to seven, which would give the Likud more. It's also possible that one or two parties uh, on the right or the left will not pass the threshold, as infamously. Uh, Naftali Bennett's party did in the last elections. There are too many, at this point, Jimmy, (laughs) unbeknowables, if I can call that that way, which is going to make it very difficult for anybody to call with really any certainty. All we can do is point to what could happen if the votes go this way or that way.
0: Well, suffice to say, it's going to be a very close race. And, of course, we're going to be in contact with Winky Madad next week to see how it's playing out and what the results were on Tuesday. Rinky, how important is this particular election for the Jewish State of
5: Israel? Jimmy, it's important because of two main factors. Number one, and I'll go America first, we have a very sympathetic presidential administration that will allow us to do things in the security field, technological field and the diplomatic field that we could not do earlier. Start from the back, diplomatic field. Israel is going crazy, in a positive sense, in the Arab world. And I think that's considerably to the support of the United States, pressuring some of the Arab regimes to get their act together and work for their people and their country, rather than for something called Palestinians and Palestine. Technologically speaking, Mr. Netanyahu is known as a great supporter of the high-tech industry and moving Israel into into economies all over the world, and especially in Southeast Asia, South America, and other places. Security-wise, no one like Mr. Netanyahu has been right on Iran. That's why he clashed with Mr. Obama in the last administration. And if we need American support... Mr. Trump, I'm sure, will be able to give it to us like he did with Jerusalem and other issues. Anybody else does not have the stature, does not have the experience, and that has the charm. I'd even go charisma if I didn't want to get into theological trouble with you. Uh, and uh, other issues that make him a standout prime minister, we would have to go back several degrees or several steps down in order to catch up with Mr. Netanyahu. Something I would say we were, we cannot afford to do at this time.
0: So indeed, this next election very key to the future for the Jewish state of Israel. Just one quick thought: What about the statements by the prime minister of sovereignty for Judea and Samaria and for the Jordan Valley? Is that going to assist him in maybe getting
5: over the top? Not that much, Jimmy. It was treated with a bit of skepticism because they said, "Why didn't he do it earlier?" He could have said, but he didn't want to, that he's working on it, Mr. Trump, and it's taking a long time because for over 50 years, no government has taken such a move, and because it would mean abruptly ripping up the Oslo Accords. And I don't think he's had enough of uh, preparation of uh, several supporting governments that possibly could do it, and that's why he came so late in the uh, campaign. I think I've always told you in our program, he's moving in that direction. It's just according to his estimation, it's going to take a very long time to move the very heavy wheel back in the other direction.
0: One thing for sure God has a plan for the Jewish state of Israel, and we can see down through history, biblical history, how God has used human government to accomplish his will. Do you believe that will be the case this time as well? Would you agree with that, Winky?
5: I agree with that, and I think that's the way Mr. Netanyahu and many other of the right-of-center politicians are are going and speaking and expressing themselves both, as you say, in the political sense and the biblical prophetic sense. Uh, sometimes, though, time has to play itself out. We're not the, uh, a divine being in any sense, Jimmy. As We can only do what we can do as men, and hopefully we can have some support from on high.
0: That's Winky Madad. He's one of our favorite broadcast partners, giving us his analysis of what the situation for the election next Tuesday, September the 17th, will be and how it will play out. Winky, thank you so very much. Great insight, buddy. We'll talk again real soon.
5: Jimmy, thank you for having me on the program, and goodbye to you and our listeners.
0: Very interesting conversation with Winky Madad. A preview of the upcoming elections September the 17th on Tuesday in the state of Israel, and a key election because all human government activities do set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. Well, let's go to another key region of our world, where we can look at the political activities and realize how those activities are setting the prophetic scenario that will ultimately take place. I'm talking about the European Union, John Rood, our go to man, when we want to know what's happening in this very key region of the world. And let me start with this. You know, we've talked so much about Brexit, John. The Europeans actually, at one time, hoped that the British people would reverse Brexit. Now, it seems like many of them can't wait for Great Britain to leave the European Union, doesn't it?
6: This is absolutely true. The Europeans as a whole, this has dragged on and on, and so it's known as Brexit fatigue. People in the United Kingdom comment to me, they're about ready to scream at the television, this is just going on. We've had uh, various delays. Now we have Boris Johnson with his back against the wall that legally he has to make another delay if something doesn't change. And they're saying even that he would face jail if he goes against the parliament. And so they're forcing him on a and yet another delay. So the EU is examining what's the positioning of this continual delay and so they're probably figuring that it's just better for the EU as a whole if they could just just leave and, you know, could take the loss. And the negotiations are very much settled to be able for them to leave. The U.K. staying in the European Union is actually going to have a weakening effect, and the influence is very negative. There's a very powerful anti-Europe lobby, the uk has burned their bridges and now the as a whole it looks like the commission and the european union as a whole would just wish they would settle this and get out
0: yeah absolutely and i tell you what john i'm just about tired of talking about it with you i mean what else can we say we've said just about everything we can say hey is this a conspiracy theory this headline that said boris johnson is plotting a scheme to render the European Union no longer legal. And he's doing this in a desperate bid to escape the Brexit trap. What do you know?
6: Uh, This is really an interesting twist, because the EU is definitely based on law, although it's not democratic. And so there is a loophole, because the European Union is required in the Commission to have all of the nations represented. And with the U.K. not represented, the portfolios have just been given out to the new commission, and the United Kingdom is not assigned a portfolio in the commission. It has to be one of each of the 28 countries. And so the E.U. is no longer legally constituted because the commission is rejecting the United Kingdom position. So actually, the British prime minister can say, that we must leave because if we stay in it with this type of status quo situation therefore the European Union is not working in a legal fashion so we must leave it's a pretty brilliant
4: twist
0: well is it possible that he could pull it off uh,
6: i don't know but if he gets enough people mad at him they're going to they're going to kick him out like we say
0: absolutely Well, uh, we talk often about a key leader in the European Union, the president of France, Macron, and it now looks like some of his French ministers are urging a lessening of the tensions with Russia during a recent visit to Moscow to meet with Vladimir Putin. They're saying the time has come. What do we know about this?
6: The language has changed between France and Russia, we're hearing now about improving the bilateral ties, guaranteeing the European security, having a new architecture of confidence. This is a very timely shift. It is just this last weekend that Putin's party lost dramatically the recent elections for the Moscow uh, Council. They had even blocked some of the opponents from the ballot. And so in the aftermath now, there's been a 1,000 police have raided opposition figures in 43 cities. And so at the same time, France wants to be at the helm with the shifting that's occurring in Russia. And they could take credit for trying to put something new together. European Union it has this distinction. It's trying to balance the NATO obligations with the reality that Russia is to the east. And there's no strict EU-Russia policy that's still in formation. So it could be that France is trying to position itself to be at the forefront of these new type of situation negotiations. And ultimately, the question could be, what about Russia when Putin's no longer in power?
0: Yeah, very interesting developments, never a dull moment. In the European Union political arena. Of course, it's setting the stage for the prophetic to be fulfilled, and that's why we go to John Rood on a weekly basis. John, thank you so very much, buddy. We'll talk again next week. Thank you. Great report from John Rood, focusing on the European Union. This is a key region of the world. We discuss the political there because it is setting the stage for the prophetic to be fulfilled. European Union, at least the infrastructure for the soon-to-come into existence of the old Roman Empire. We'll stay continually in contact with John to see how this is developing. Well, I want to go to outer space and millions of years ago to talk about our next issue. I say that tongue-in-cheek, of course, dear friends. 66 million years ago, there was supposedly a dinosaur killing asteroid that hit the Earth. Brings up many questions. And of course, when I have questions like this, I go to Don DeYoung. Dr. DeYoung is head of the science department at Grace College in Winona Lake, Indiana. Don, with the first question, how do they know it was 66 million years ago? How accurate can they judge that?
7: Well, thank you, Jimmy. Good question. That number, 65, 66 million years, is coming from the uniform view of the slow formation of the Earth layers, and because of how deep down this crater is, that number is assigned to it. Now, that does involve technical areas like radioisotope dating, but there are certainly other interpretations of that. The 65 million years is by no means a fact.
0: And with that thought in mind, I know that the crater that supposedly this asteroid left on the earth was someplace there in the Yucatan Peninsula in Mexico. Is there evidence there that they could even consider 66 million years ago? Or is it more interesting to think about it? Well, it was maybe 6,000 years ago.
7: Well, this story goes back to the 1970s when researchers detected this circular formation. It's actually deep underground, partly under uh, the Gulf of Mexico, partly under Mexico itself. It was in a secondary way that it was found, the markings of it down down deep. The interesting thing, Jimmy, uh, this mile thickness above it is all limestone, which we believe was deposited during the Genesis Flood. So the crater itself, if it really is a crater, there's some question there, but it would have formed at the start of the flood or even previous to it because it's beneath all the flood layers. So the mile layers are not a monument to time, but to the rapid formation of all the mud and debris that settled down in the latter stages of the flood.
0: And that, of course, would be about 4,500 years ago, so it brings it into that young Earth time period of about 6,000 years from creation up until today. This has been the story that I've heard for so many years, Don, that it was an asteroid that came out of the heavens, hit the earth, and destroyed all the dinosaurs. Now, as I understand it, dinosaurs, which is a great creative act by the Lord, the book of Job talks about it so vividly, uh, that uh, they were created on the sixth day of creation And can we say that uh, all the dinosaurs were killed? Do they have evidence of that?
7: Well, no, that's very um, debatable. Dinosaurs were part of day number six of the creation week. They lived in early history. Adam could well have named the types of dinosaurs. Varieties went on board the ark, maybe juvenile, maybe small ones, and came off the ark What happened to the dinosaurs is another question. Instead of some sort of asteroid or comet collision, we believe that uh, the Earth got colder in the post-flood years. There was an ice age, and uh, maybe that led to the gradual extinction of the dinosaurs. One more thing about that crater that's interesting, Jimmy, uh, what they're finding at the bottom of it, even though it's underground, are bits of soil and bits of vegetation, So right away, they talk about tsunamis, flooding that took place when the crater formed. We would give the alternative that the debris that they find in that crater was initial material from the the flood. There was water, all right, but worldwide, the crater itself is a testimony to to the Genesis flood.
0: Wow, what the scientists are trying to tell us proves evolution, actually is proving creation. Now, you said the sixth day. You agreed with what I said about the creation of the dinosaur. And uh, we would have to say, am I pretty much on target about 6,000 years ago, that sixth 24-hour day of creation?
7: Exactly. We don't have the exact date for creation or some of the other Old Testament events. But a 6,000-year figure is um, fully credible and that gives enough time for really all of Earth and world history, and it certainly fits the Genesis genealogies as well. So uh, you know there are a growing number of um, scientists who are taking the, the Bible seriously and are quite um, satisfied with that short time span for history.
0: Are there still dinosaurs, Don, alive today, or descendants of the original dinosaurs?
7: The story goes on of a dinosaur holdouts someplace across this wide world. The reports are always sketchy. I guess a person would say, "Well, show me a photograph from the heart of Africa or someplace." Mm-hmm. I would think that they are now gone. You know, we've lost the great majority of plants and animals over over history. In fact, maybe the Lord will restore them someday. So the remnants today, we do have some large um, reptiles. We even have the Komodo dragons, the largest living. Uh, Uh, lizard and um, small ones. But the days of the dinosaurs, as well as the days of the woolly mammoths, are past. Not millions of years ago, but thousands.
0: Yes, absolutely. Don, why do scientists try to stick to this false narrative?
7: Well, you know, the whole evolutionary scenario requires deep time, immense amounts of time. So even that mile layer above the cra- the crater, they talk about a slow formation of that layer, and uh, we challenge that. Uh, we don't think that time is available for evolution. In fact, it wouldn't work anyway. But it's so um refreshing to uh, to say you know this is a a, a recent supernatural creation, and the Genesis flood, Noah's flood, actually thoroughly marked this earth, and the testimony of it is everywhere, in the rock layers, in the Grand Canyon, wherever we look.
0: Every conversation that I have with Don DeYoung is key, and let me tell you why. The truth on creation is key to the validity of prophecy. Jesus said there in Revelation chapter 1, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning of the end, and we know that he created the heavens and the earth and all that is in them, Colossians 1.16, holds that all together, Colossians 1.17. But because of his creative activities, we can understand prophecy to be true as well. Now, you're a scientist, Don. Would you agree with that statement?
7: I certainly would, Jimmy, and there are many implications to it space is so vast that it's often said that it would, you know, take a long time to reach um, the stars way out there. When this uh, whole world system ends up, it says that, um, you know, the universe will disappear with a roar. God can do things quickly.
0: That's Dr. Don DeYoung. That's a favorite friend of mine. He's got a great brain, and I love to pick his brain when we have issues like the one we've had today. Don, thank you so very much, my good friend. Appreciate it. We'll talk again real soon.
7: Thank you, Jimmy. Till next time.
0: We're going to take a break, and when we come back, one more broadcast partner, David James. We're going to discuss Jonathan Kahn's brand-new book, The Oracle. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. We're moving into the last half hour. Thank you so very much for giving us at least, well, you gave us 60 minutes. You'll, if you finish this half hour, have given us 90 minutes so we can give you information around the world looking at current events in light of biblical prophecy, helping us to Basically, understand where we are in God's calendar of activities for the end times, that prophetic scenario that is found in God's Word. We're here in Temporary Studios in Chillicothe, Illinois. We'll be at the Calvary Baptist Church all day tomorrow, Sunday, we start at the 945 hour for Sunday School. That's a combined Sunday School. Then the 11 a.m. service in the afternoon, 5 o'clock for Prophecy Q&A. 6 o'clock, we'll be teaching the last words that Jesus Christ said to the church. You need to be in this session. It is so up-to-date and contemporary, it is amazing. That'll be at the Calvary Baptist Church in Chillicothe, Illinois, will be there on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday evening as well. We'll be there at 7 o'clock for the teaching service, 6 o'clock for the Prophecy Q&A. Come join us as we study God's Word. Do me a favor. Go to my website, prophecytoday.com. Go to the homepage, and on the left-hand column, if you scroll down, you'll find the poll question. Here's the question. Please answer it. Since God uses human government to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be played out, Revelation chapter 17 and verse 17, do you think that the upcoming elections in Israel will be a part of setting the stage for the pathetic scenario that God has for Israel in the very near future? Now that's the poll question. Please answer that question if you will. And while you're on the website, Go to Joshua Travel. You can find out about the tours that we're having. We have one with Rick and Jim in Israel right now leading a tour. We'll talk with Jim next week on the program, but you can get all the details, the itinerary, the cost, so you can come and join us. And also look at the top banner over the home page of the website. Find out information about the Prophecy Conference in Chattanooga first week of December. David James and I will be teaching David will be looking at God's plan throughout the ages, and I'll be finishing up my third installment of Bible prophecy throughout the Bible, Bible prophecy in every book of the Bible. You can find out all of this information at my website, prophecytoday.com. We now bring to this microphone David James, and we're here for our weekly conversation. We're getting great response to this weekly conversation, some pro, some con. We love the pro, but we enjoy the con as well, because if you can come with a biblical basis upon which to argue against what we're saying, we want to reconsider, and we'll look at what you have to say. So keep responding to what you hear on this very important segment of Prophecy Today. This week, we catch up with David in Uganda, in East Africa. He's teaching a course related to what we do right here every week on this broadcast, and that is discuss current theological issues that will face the body of Christ. David, welcome to the broadcast today from Uganda. Well, you know, in the last few days, it's come to our attention that Jonathan Kahn has released his fifth major book. We'll get to that book at the end of the discussion. But before we do that, let's go back to January 2012, when David, I think that we, you and I, may have been the first ones to publicly express our concern about his first book, The Harbinger, which, by the way, went on to become the number one Christian book of that particular year.
2: Well, that's right. The Harbinger made its debut on January 2nd of 2012 when Pat Robertson first interviewed Jonathan Cahn on the 700 Club, and Robertson was just gushing over the book, and that was on a Tuesday, as I recall, and somehow this had come to the attention of your son, Jimmy Jr., and so on Wednesday of that week, he sent us a link to the interview, which had been put up on YouTube. And after you and I had watched the interview, we both immediately had concerns, and so on Thursday, uh, we talked on the phone about discussing the issue on that weekend's broadcast. And so to prepare for that, I immediately went to Amazon.com and bought the Kindle version of the book, and by the next morning, believe it or not, I had finished reading it, and I was concerned with the book, not only because of its serious flaws, but because I was fairly certain that it would strike a chord with many American Christians, which we now know it did, because as you said, it became the number one Christian book of 2012, selling over a million copies in just 12 months. The bottom line is this The Harbinger is a novel that Jonathan Kahn has said is 90% factual, and the premise is that a single verse in Isaiah, which was directed at the northern kingdom of Israel in the 8th century BC, has been replaying on American soil beginning with the terrorist attacks of 9 11 2001. Of course, a horrible tragedy that we just remembered again as a country on Wednesday of this week. And this and other related passages. According to him, have been determining the geopolitical and economic situation in the United States and the world ever since.
0: Well, David, I know that you did hundreds of hours of research into the alleged biblical and historical facts that Jonathan Kahn claimed were behind the Harbinger. You found that most of our initial concerns were not only well founded, but there were many more serious errors in the book. What were some of the major ones that you discovered as you dug deeper?
2: Well, you're right. I poured a huge amount of time and effort into working all, through all the assertions in the book. And someone might wonder why I spend so much time on a novel, a fictional work. It was because of uh, Jonathan Kahn's assertion that it was 90% based in fact. And so let's start with the premise that Isaiah 9:10 has been replaying on American soil since 9-11. Isaiah 9:10 says, the bricks have fallen down, but we will rebuild with hewn stones. The sycamores are cut down, but we will replace them with cedars. And this is God talking about the defiance of the northern kingdom in the face of God's imminent judgment through both the Assyrians and the Philistines. And there's nothing in the text that even hints that it could apply to any other situation or any other nation, even as a pattern. And the fact is, America is just not found in Scripture specifically as a nation. But Jonathan Cahn tries to make it sound as if America is some sort of second Israel when he cites the thinking of the earliest founders of America who believed that that was what they were establishing, a second Israel. And this is the subtext that undergirds his other books. I call it parallel theology as opposed to replacement theology. And amazingly, he completely ignores what is perhaps the single most important messianic kingdom passage in the Old Testament in the preceding verses. And those verses say, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, the government will be upon his shoulder, his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. And furthermore, Khan's books are filled with many examples of mishandling scripture, misrepresenting historical facts, manipulating data, and cherry picking facts for support while leaving out information that undermines his theory. So this is a serious issue.
0: I know in the months that followed, David, the release of uh, The Harbinger, many other voices joined ours in strongly criticizing the book. But as far as I know, you wrote the only book-length rebuttal, and others were actually citing your work in their own articles. I think it's an interesting story about how your book came out just six months after The Harbinger was published.
2: Well, after our first interview, I continued to watch how The Harbinger sales were trending and has, as well as how reviews on Amazon.com were piling up and how it was climbing to the top of the New York Times bestseller list. Now, I was going to write about a three-page review of the book, but as I started digging, it quickly became six pages and ten pages and twenty pages. And while at the same time, the buzz around the book kept growing because of word of mouth and all the radio and television interviews that made Jonathan Kahn the most interviewed man in America in 2012 by some accounts. And in the meantime, my review kept getting longer and longer the more I researched, and by March, I was saying that this is going to be the theological issue of 2012. So now my article is up to 50 pages, then 80 pages, and I decided that it needed to become a book, and I'd never written a book before. And about that time, I published about a 16-page version on the ABI website and mentioned my plan to self-publish the book. Well, The director of the brand call, Tom McMahon, came across the article, gave me a call, and offered to carry my book in their online bookstore once it was done. And then he called me about 10 days later, actually offering to publish the book for me. And then over the next 10 weeks, I was researching and writing nonstop, and I was able to take the book from 80 to 220 pages with three theological readers, three editors, and eight solid endorsements, And by God's grace, we had our first copy in hand in June. It was just an incredible thing that happened, and it actually really ignited a firestorm in the evangelical community. And before it was over, even both you and I and the brand call were being threatened with lawsuits. So it's really been an amazing story uh, from the very beginning.
0: By the way, that book is still available, is it not, David? And can they purchase it on Amazon.com or at your website?
2: You can purchase it on Amazon.com or from a and call.
0: Well, this is a great tool for those in the body of Christ who want to read a novel and try to get biblical doctrine from it. You don't do that. That's a wrong principle. David, I know in 2014, Jonathan Kahn released his second book, to which you also responded, which not only dealt with his book, but also responded to what I think we can call the blood moons fiasco.
2: That's right. In September of 2014, uh, he had turned Chapter 17 of the Harbinger called The Mystery of the Shemitah with the subtitle, The 3,000-Year-Old Mystery That Holds the Secret of America's Future, The World's Future, and Your Future. And Shemitah is a Hebrew word that means release, and it came to refer to the Jewish Sabbath year because every seventh year the Israelites were to neither plant nor harvest, and on the last day of the year the lenders were to release borrowers from their debts, And Jonathan Cahn believed he had found a mystery that was affecting American and world economy and world events. And then in 2014 and 2015, there was a series of four consecutive lunar eclipses that occurred on the Feast of Passover and uh, Tabernacles in both years, and there was a book written by a Hebrew roots pastor that said that these would be a fulfillment of Joel 2, Matthew 24, and Revelation 6 concerning the moon turning to blood and perhaps triggering the tribulation and fulfillment of uptime prophecy. Then John Hagee heard about this from Mark Biltz, And both of them wrote books about it, with Hades becoming a bestseller. And then he also produced a movie that had a limited run in a lot of theaters. And when Jonathan Kahn picked up on it, he tied things to it in his Shemitah book. And so I responded... And I believe I debunked everything in the book, and here we are four years later, and nothing has happened that they said would happen.
0: And by the way, those books are still in the boxes in the warehouses of these guys who wrote them because it ended up being not true. Well, as we wrap it up for today, David, what can you tell us about Khan's new book, The Oracle? And by the way, just a few days ago when we were planning today's broadcast, we were thinking that the book would not be released by airtime, but apparently it has been. So have you had a chance yet to read this book?
2: Well, the release caught me off guard because from everything I'd read, it looked like it was still a couple of weeks out and the hype was already building. I actually downloaded at 4.30 this morning from Amazon, but because I'd have over four hours of classes to teach today, I wasn't able to get through it completely yet, but I did read over a quarter of it already. In Charisma Magazine, Jonathan Kahn wrote an article, and the second paragraph reads as follows. Is it possible that the events unfolding in the world right now are following the exact parameters of a 3,000-year-old mystery? Is it possible that this mystery has determined the past, the present, and will determine the future? Could this mystery have even ordained the outcome of American elections and the secret of a modern American president, meaning President Trump? Since I haven't finished the book yet, I'm withholding judgment. I have to admit that he's made some interesting observations so far, but after all I've seen over the past seven years, you could call me a confirmed skeptic. And so unless something else important comes up, it might be a good idea for us to deal with the book next week after I've had time to finish it.
0: Well, I think that's a great idea, David. And of course, with your teaching schedule, that is even going to be difficult. But dear friends, we wanted to give you a basis upon which you could accept this book, The Oracle by Jonathan Kahn, or consider maybe that would be a waste of time. We'll get in more in depth as David digs into the book, has an opportunity to read it. David will be praying for you as you do all of the research on the topics we discuss. And, of course, your teaching load pretty heavy at this time. So we'll be praying you'll have enough strength to do that. And we'll talk again to you next week from Uganda.
2: Thanks, Jimmy. I appreciate it very much.
0: We're going to have to take a break. And when we come back, I'm going to remind you of what our broadcast partners had to say. And then I'll open the Bible. We'll take a look at the book. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today.
3: Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com.
0: It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. On Prophecy Today weekend, we have invited our broadcast partners to come to the broadcast table to discuss current events around the world, and then to have an opportunity for me to give you a prophetic perspective on the news today. Our broadcast partners are key players to our understanding of the end-of-time scenario that is found in God's Word, the Bible. Now, this is the purpose for this program. This is key for your understanding and how you can then study the prophetic word of God, see how current events in light of the prophetic word seemingly are telling us these are the days which Jesus was talking about and what the Bible has to say throughout every book, all 66 books of the Bible as it relates to Bible prophecy. We have available for you, if you had to miss any of these conversations, an opportunity to listen to them or re-listen to them if you said, hey, I need more information, I want to hear that one more time. You go to my website, prophecytoday.com, then go to Prophecy Today Radio Network, that's P-T-R-N, and you can listen to all the conversations that I had with my six broadcast partners. I want you to do me a favor, please, tell a friend about these special interviews that I have with these men with great knowledge, insight into the current events as it relates to Bible prophecy. We need to spread this information out, more people need to hear about it, so then they can make the proper decisions. When I spoke at the Pentagon several years ago, I told the generals that I was addressing that day. I'm going to tell you today what's going to happen tomorrow because today you are making decisions that will affect tomorrow, so you need to know what God's plan is. I would say the same thing to each and every one of you listening today. Now let me take a moment and rehearse what our broadcast partners had to say, and then I'll give you a prophetic perspective on the news. Ken Timmerman, he covers geopolitical activities for us, He talked about the Israeli prime minister telling Iran, hey, we know exactly what you are doing. When it comes to intelligence gathering and spying, you have to recognize that the Mossad, which is the intelligence community in Israel, has their agents all over the world. And the fact is that many of these agents coming from the countries that they're spying on Well, they were born and raised in that country. They know the culture. They know the language. They know how the people live there, the society. So they're great in intelligence gathering. Well, that is the case as it relates to Iran. And the prime minister revealing this last week some very interesting photos of uh, some of the sites in Iran that have a connection to their nuclear weapon of mass destruction development. He put that out on the table, and he is saying to Iran, you can do what you think you're going to do. You can follow through with that plan. It's now time to wipe Israel off the face of the earth, but you must remember my intelligence gathering organization knows what's happening. They've reported it to me. We're in conversation with our military leaders. We know what you're going to do. You better stop it because we're going to be there to take you down. Ultimately, we know what will happen as it relates to Iran and some of the other enemies that will form that alignment of nations as found in Ezekiel 38, Psalm 83, and the book of Daniel, chapter 11. David Dolan gives us a Middle East News update. He's a longtime journalist over 30 years in that region of the world. He reported, of course, about the prime minister visiting Vladimir Putin, the president of Russia, there in Russia. How politically opportune was this because the elections will take place on next Tuesday and the prime minister being seen with the president of Russia is key because you must remember about one-third of the entire body politic of Israel has a relationship with to Russia. They either made immigration just about 20 years ago, or they have a longer history of that relationship with Russia. So David Dolan thought this was a great political move by the prime minister, and it is key, as the people will go to the polls and vote this coming Tuesday. Remember, God uses human government to accomplish his plan and will, Revelation chapter 17 and verse 17. In fact, speaking of those elections, Winky Madad came to the broadcast table. We talked about a preview of the Israeli elections. You've got to remember, this is not a direct vote for prime minister, but the election of members of the Knesset, whichever parties can come together and form a coalition that have a simple majority, 61 votes in the Knesset will then name the next prime minister. At this point today, looks like Netanyahu would get the nod to do that. John Rood is on top of the things happening in the European Union. That's another key region of the world. When you go back to Daniel chapter 7 and talk about the revival of the Roman Empire, at least the infrastructure has to be the European Union of today. Another major player, as we've been talking about, will be Russia who heads up the alignment of nations who want to destroy Israel. Now the French leaders going over to Moscow having a meeting with President Putin. Seems to me that uh, these leaders are representing the European Union, and you have the European Union coming close to Russia in a time when prophecy will be fulfilled. I loved my conversation with Don DeYoung He's a scientist. We were talking about the dinosaur-killing asteroid that hit the Earth some 66 million years ago and supposedly destroyed all the dinosaurs. Well, you want to re-listen to that. That is an impossibility that all the dinosaurs were destroyed, and we're not even absolutely sure that the Yucatan Peninsula there in Mexico is the actual location of where that asteroid hit the Earth. And then, Damon James and I concluded our visits with our broadcast partners, talking about the theological trends in our world today. Go back and listen to it. You need to recognize what we need to be concerned about as we're watching all of this world prepare for the prophetic scenario that's found in God's Word understanding what I just said would help you to realize that the rapture, the next event on God's calendar of activities, when Jesus Christ calls us up to be with him in the heavenlies forevermore, that that rapture is closer than it's ever been, and in fact, it could happen today. And having said that, nothing left for
3: me to say, except let's keep looking up unto...